Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest sitting on the other side of our Zoom. We've got a really interesting conversation that we're going to have today about some pretty cool stuff. I gave nothing away there, eh? Well, that's okay. That's okay. We'll leave people to suspense. as generic as it gets. We're going to do some cool stuff. We're going to talk about some things today. Well, hey, everyone. It's Amanda, and we've got Heather Kenny on the other side of our Zoom, and she is a registered acupuncturist, but we're speaking to her today as the president of Traditional Chinese Medicine Ontario. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that went on in the spring in terms of possibly um, going through deregulation, which, as we all know now, did not happen. Very much in part Sounds to... Sounds like a victory. Yeah, victory. And uh, we we have Heather and uh, you know other people to thank for that, but she's definitely one of the key players in this not being a problem. And I know a lot of RMTs, especially those of you who have dual registration, had a lot of concerns. And we just wanted to talk about what went on, the victory. And Mark just brought up before we started recording about things that are happening in BC. And I guess there's been more concern about what might take place in Ontario. So we're going to have a conversation with Heather and get her thoughts on it and also the story behind all the things that went on behind the scenes that many of us might not have known about. So Heather, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Hey, it's great to be here with you both. Certainly to talk about something that was exciting and terrifying all at the same time. So Exciting and terrifying. Those are good words. So why don't we start with an introduction about you, Heather, a little bit about how long you've been practicing acupuncture, how you got into it, and then how you became the president of TCMO. Sure. My own journey into acupuncture is kind of a, it's a, a later in life thing. Um, I think if anybody counted, this is likely about my seventh or eighth career. Wow. Um, not that I uh, haven't liked any of them, but uh, I certainly do like acupuncture. I think I'll stick with it for a while. Um, I've uh, So I've got a, a pretty wide background and some of the other stuff I've done in the past has been about associations and how, how people can work together to further uh, a goal. Um, so I bring all of that uh, experience to the table for this particular fight as well. Um, one of the things that happens in uh, in traditional Chinese medicine um, practice, practice um, we're Many people are registered acupuncturists, so RACs, but then we've also got Chinese herbologists in the mix too. So there uh, are TCMPs. So there's two, uh, two designations that happen underneath the TCM banner. One of the things I realized coming out of school is that there's not a lot of active um, advocacy work uh, on behalf of the profession. Um, we, of course, have a regulatory college, um, but the regulatory college wants to regulate. They don't really want to do much advocacy work. Um, right. They're not interested in promoting the profession. Mm -hmm. um, and so I recognize that that was a big gap for our profession. Um, there are um, a couple associations around, um, but specifically around government relations, advocacy work, and putting the needs of the professionals forward, um, we identified that that was a gap. And so that, from those conversations, that's where TCMO came from. So uh, we're responding really to needs within the profession about how do we speak to more people to government, to extended health companies um, and extended health insurance agencies, um, to other professions. How do we promote our profession and, and work at those cross-professional boundaries um, that, I mean, as you've already identified, lots of RMTs are dual registered, but how do we get our 
how do we get our people together and how do we get healthcare moving forward in a better way in Ontario? I just want to, if we can, just do a little compare and contrast to the massage therapy situation in Ontario. So, for example, there are roughly 15,000 RMTs in Ontario and there are probably just under 7,000 of them are members of the professional association. So we don't have like a ton of of RMTs that are part of the professional association. So our, our advocacy actually really is really strange in that the biggest complaint from RMTs is the association doesn't do a lot or doesn't do enough. And then the association's like, well, our hands are tied because we can only do so much depending on the membership. Like we are relying on the members to have the numbers, to have the funding, to allow us to do these things that you want us to do. So it's a really kind of roundabout catch 22. Yeah. And I'm curious, what does it look like on your side of the fence? Exactly the same. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, okay. So I don't know what it's like with acupuncture, but one thing I've heard, and I, I think I, that can kind of make sense with this, when it comes to registered massage therapy, there are a whole bunch of registered massage therapists that really care a lot about being regarded as healthcare and really care about public perception and education. Whereas there's also a, a, probably an equally large amount of RMTs that recognize that people like massage and they're going to be successful in their business with or without the advocacy and they're okay with being classified under service and, you know, working in places where it's, you know, people are going to come in and get a massage and they don't really care about the advocacy. So in your case, you know, recognizing that there was this gap and that the advocacy wasn't there, do you feel that there are registered acupuncturists who just don't really care about the public perception and don't really care about the advocacy and being able to speak to um, insurance companies and, you know, get extended healthcare benefits, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know what? I, th I think that exists in any profession. Um, I, I think, you know, there's RMTs that aren't interested because they have successful practices or they're as busy as they want to be. Maybe I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, I suspect if we looked at any other profession, um, you know, accountants. I'm sure there's an accountant who who doesn't um, doesn't feel the need for you know the CPAs to be doing the work that they're doing and their associations. Um, in our case, um, as an REC, I guess one of the contrasts would be acupuncture. Um, acupuncture has that this funny thing, right? We use one word to describe the the medicine itself, the process. Um, and the people that actually do it. Um, in our case, when I talk about advocacy, especially to uh, extended health companies, we were seeing um, as uh, acupuncturists and TCM professionals, we were seeing um, our services actually being delisted um, and no longer covered uh, by, by certain um, extended health carriers. Um, RMTs, on the other hand, um, I'm not sure if you've ever had to deal with that. Yes, and, that and that position is something that we, you know, we're certainly aware of and uh, likely even envious of, but, but that's part of the, the advocacy work that, that we need to do with that, right. you know, acupuncture done by an acupuncturist needs to still be covered by an extended right. health coverage. We actually had something very similar happen with a large extended healthcare company and our association went to battle for us with mm -hmm. that because they were pretty much delisting us and they were comparing the effects of massage therapy to a to nap. To a nap. Basically that was, that was their, that was their advertising. You feel like you need a massage, take a nap. Yeah. So our, 
Association, you know, put on the boxing gloves. I wish they went a little bit more barefoot, but they put on the boxing gloves <laughs> and, and they did battle on that for us. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, too, in our, you know, to talk about our experience in in this year, in 2022, hopefully um, more people, more uh, TCM professionals now understand the need for continued government relations and continued um, advocacy and lobbying work. We we need to keep our profession and the benefits of this healthcare in front of the people that make decisions around regulation. Um, you know, this whole experience really kind of brings home to me, at least, and to other people, um, the essential work that a professional association does on on behalf of its membership. Absolutely. We've had discussions with massage therapists from unregulated provinces, regulated provinces. We've talked about moving from one to the other, back and forth. And we've even had discussions surrounding the importance or the lack of importance for regulation. Um, I, I can obviously tell which side you're on in this discussion. But for those people who felt, remember, Mark, there was a lot of therapists who felt like, do we really need to be regulated? What what is the importance? What is the point? In your in your words, Heather, what would you say is the importance of acupuncture continuing to be regulated? And why was it so scary? And well, what did you say? Terrifying and exciting that there was a chance for deregulation. So can we do this then? And just to kind of go pre what you're suggesting? We're gonna go chronologically. Yeah, sure. Can we can we go through what happened here? Like, why is the provincial government saying we wanted to deregulate this profession? What was what were the what was the basis of of that decision or trying to make that decision happen? I I don't know, and we don't know to this day what really? what what was behind the provincial push to this. Um, there was no consultation with the college. There was no consultation with the prof- members of the profession. So um, any, you know, I'm sure there there are some pretty solid guesses out there in the world, but nothing yeah. that nothing that's been substantiated. Um, so we don't know why the the profession why the government went this direction. Certainly, all the information we had, um, and I think it's, I mean, this is common knowledge within the RHPAs is that Ontario was thinking um, of really mimicking and copying what happened in BC and, uh, you know, responding to 26 regulated health professions by putting us together under a number of of overarching colleges. Mm -hmm. That had been the, you know, the the common accepted view of what was going to happen in Ontario. So for the government to come out of left field um, on this labor bill, um, was really, really, uh, it was absolutely shocking. Um, so the, the technical side of what happened is that this was a, um, a, a bill uh, regulation brought forward from um, the Ministry of Health, mm-hmm. and it was tucked into a Ministry of Labor bill. Right. So, you know, the Labor bill itself had lots of good stuff in it, which, you know, we can all have there. That's a whole nother conversation. But but why was this Ministry of Health bill stuck in the middle of the Labor bill? Um, and certainly um, people were so excited to talk about it 
um, that they um, there were a number of phone calls made to the college, um, essentially announcing the college's demise after the first reading of the bill. Um, and that was February 28th. Um, and so as professionals, we were told by our college on that day that we would be deregulated. Um, and I mean, like I said, that was incredibly shocking. Why do we need regulation? Um, you know what? I, I think we need regulation, well, in large part for public safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and public safety encompasses um, not the, the knowledge and the security and the assurance that your practitioner, your healthcare practitioner, is educated and knows what they're diagnosing. Um, as a TCM professional, we we are uh, enabled uh, and by regulation to diagnose health uh, healthcare problems. We give it a Chinese diagnosis, and then we treat what we diagnose. Um, so, and in China, TCM is still used as primary healthcare. Uh, And so to to look at what happens in Ontario, there are members of the public, significant numbers of members of the public that use TCM as their primary and only healthcare route. Right. Um, So it it is healthcare. And we do need to be able to uh, guarantee and be secure that our public is safe. Um, I mean, the very practical side of it is as an acupuncturist, I really need to know what is safe on a person um, because I I, you know, very bluntly put in needles in people. There mm-hmm. needs to be a level of education around that. Absolutely. Um, for, for TCM practitioners, they're prescribing herbs. They need to know what their herbal herbs um, interact with. Um, they need to know that people are going to be safe. So to, you know, to say that we were shocked that the government decided that that this entire healthcare system did not need regulation was stunning. To be told later on, and you know, a couple of days later by the Minister of Health that um, acupuncture was going to be regulated in the same way that uh, tattoo parlors and ear piercing studios were going to be regulated, um, again, was incredibly stunning. Right. And I'll go further to say it was actually disrespectful to an entire healthcare profession who has gone to school for, um, you know, anywhere from four to, to, to six years to learn the profession. Right. The way I understood it, at least the, from the the very little that I read in my memory is really crappy as well, is how it was tucked into that labor, that, that labor bill, bill 88 or something like that. I can't remember exactly, mm-hmm. um, was the, the, the idea that it closes the door on a number of non-English speaking practitioners to be able to practice. Because I I assume the same way the College of Massage Therapists works is that there needs to be a certain level of language proficiency for you to even be granted your license. To pa- Once you pass your licensing exam, you also have to show you know a certain level of, of proficiency in either one of the two official languages in, in Canada, which is either French or English. And so from everything that I read, it was kind of like... Mm, the 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 reasoning or the logic or one of the pieces involved was that this potentially does not allow a lot of non-english speaking so mandarin cantonese speaking practitioners to practice because they don't have that english proficiency is it just me that feels like there was a much better solution to this well, yeah <laughs> 
being that I did live, I, did I get that being right? Being that I did live I? in a very, very Cantonese-speaking neighborhood, yes, sure. There's probably a lot of practitioners that are not proficient in English and were trained in China. But yes. to me, the solution seems that being that it is traditional Chinese medicine, if you have Chinese education, there should be some sort of um, you know, circumstances where you can take licensing exams in one of the official languages from the country where you did training from only maybe only if it's if it's China because it's Chinese medicine. I don't know. But yeah, that seems really kind of crazy to me that let's deregulate because we're excluding people who don't speak English, but you are going to be under the same regulation as tattoo shops. Like not even close but did to I the get same that, thing. Did I get that right? Did I make that up? Like, I feel like. I don't know. Ask Heather. Maybe you made that up. Yeah. No, I'd say you're right on. That was what the, uh, that was what the government said. Okay. okay. Um, but I will also say that this is a classic moment where the government did not do their homework. Right. This is my uh, interpretation of what the college requirements are. So, you know, for for the nitty gritty stuff, uh, it, you know, this will have to be an interview with the, you know somebody from the from our regulatory college. Yep. But I will tell you that our regulatory college only asks for um, uh, I can't remember the exact term, but it's a uh, it's bare proficiency. Okay. Um, in a language, it's not. Uh, it's not uh, fully bilingual uh, English to uh, you know any Chinese language. Um, we actually, in regulation at the college, actually also say if you are not proficient in either English or French, as long as someone on your staff can translate for you, mm. they will. At our college will accept that. Um, as um, you know, as a proficiency standard, um, our college allows people uh, to chart in um, in any language, essentially. Wow. Um, but if those charts have to be passed on, they would ask that the, they be translated into English or French in order for you know, again, for you know, the 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 currency of uh, of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, the we do uh, accept foreign credentials um, into the college. They're assessed, um, and then uh, you know, so a so a Chinese educated individual would be able to to come to to Canada to to do those exams. Again, comparing Ontario to BC, um, BC has just begun offering um, regulatory exams in Chinese. Forgive me for not actually knowing exactly the dialect that they do offer in, but right. um, but they do they do they are going that way in in BC. So for another province um, in Canada to be able to also move that direction makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as a regulated health profession, we are we exist at the behest of the Minister of Health, uh, and the Minister of Health has always retained the ability to direct the college to do something. So, you know, Amanda, when you talk about, wasn't there an easier way to do this? Of course there was. The minister of health could have simply said to the college, move on and offer these exams in, in an additional language Um, to completely blow up an entire regulated health profession. Um, is uh, you know one of those proverbial taking a you know taking a piece of dynamite to get rid of a you know get rid of the household ant problem like it's just it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah um and I and I do think it could have been solved in a much better way it it was easy to solve have a conversation talk to the college I can't believe the college wasn't consulted like that is still the part that is blowing my mind that there wasn't any communication with the college prior to deciding we're going to wedge this sneaky little 
this sneaky little section into this bill that deregulates an entire profession. And going back to public perception, I know I mentioned it earlier, regardless of what we know went on and what, you know, all the practitioners know, and maybe some patients may know, the public as a whole, when they hear about things like that happening, that is dynamite. Yes. That is basically making the public think, well, why? Why would that be possibly deregulated? And that brings a little bit it's of doubt and possibly, yeah, and possibly invalidates some of the work that has already been done because then the public's thinking, well, why would we deregulate acupuncture? Is it nonsense? Is it, you know, like there's all these questions then that we know, no, no, this was just the government making a ridiculous decision without communicating with anyone. But I think that the what we saw in that first week in March was the public um, and the public spoke to the government uh, loudly and decisively. And the public said, we want, we value our public safety. And we can see that if you deregulate this profession, our safety as, as the public is going to be threatened. So, so just to give you a bit more background on that first week. So um the 28th of February, the bill was read for the first time. We started as professionals. We were informed at about six o'clock on Monday night. By 8 a.m., well, I was actually, I think I was likely on the case by about 6 a.m. because you can well imagine I wasn't sleeping very much. So um, first thing, early, very early on Tuesday morning, um, we started to work on this. Um, I have uh, at TCMO, um, through its previous activity, had uh, had a government relations firm uh, that we had worked closely with. Um, we got them, TCMO contacted them and brought them into the file and sort of updated them on what was going on. Um, I did a series of media interviews, um, one of them Tuesday at noon, and then rapidly following up with them on Wednesday. Um, and by Thursday, I was doing Zoom interviews. Um, and then Friday, we had a, a press conference. So those things happened quite quickly in there. The other thing that happened on Tuesday is that uh, as professionals, we started to talk to our patients. Um, our patients, of course, came to us as well, right? They they heard about it. They mm -hmm. come into their appointments. They were asking, what's going on? What can we do? So we started a, um, a letter writing campaign. Uh, we also had um, one of our, one another acupuncturist um, practitioner uh, started a petition on change.org. In that first week, the change.org petition had somewhere around 60,000 signatures. Yeah. Um, at this point, I think that petition has somewhere upward of over seven, 70,000 signatures. That's now one of the top uh, performing petitions on change.org. And that response was gathered in about seven days. Wow. It was quick. I saw almost every, even, even healthcare professionals on my Facebook list yeah. who are not acupuncturists. Absolutely. But I mean, we all worked together on this. I saw literally every healthcare professional saying, sign this, sign this, yeah. sign this, this sign went this. This went around the RMT community. It was large, fast. Yeah. Absolutely. And it was awesome, right? So the response to the MPP's offices were, um, you know, all the public calling in saying, this is ridiculous. You need to, you need to walk this back. And so by Thursday afternoon, we were seeing that we, we saw that stripped out of the, uh, stripped out of the bill. Um, by the following Monday, they, uh, you know, were referring to committee and that kind of thing. So, but it, it was that public response. 
and the you know other cooperating RHPs in Ontario that that really made this such a big deal so quickly for the government to have to to deal with. Um, and and again, you know, hindsight says, hey, if you'd asked the question, government, you would have had this answer already from the public, from yep. practitioners, from the college. We also got a lot of response um, across Canada. Um, other professional associations in the uh, in the other five provinces that uh, that have regulatory colleges for TCM. I um, talked to uh, to both TCMO and the coalition. Which which, which are those provinces? So uh, TCM is uh, regulated in uh, BC, Alberta, Ontario, Quebec, and Newfoundland. Which, incidentally, I'm in. This is one of those trivia moments. Um, and I, as we look at the differences between uh, TCM and, and RMTs, um, I know that uh, as RM as massage therapy therapy was going through the regulation process. Um, I'm aware that uh, HST is still charged on uh, massage services in Ontario and across Canada, right? And I know that at the time, uh, the magic number was five. If you were regulated in five provinces, you would be able to drop the HST. And that that information is gleaned actually from TCM. So TCM is regulated in five provinces and we don't charge HST. We've got five and here we are (laughs) still charging HST. And uh, so when Ontario was teetering around this deregulation, the rest of the TCM community across Canada was very concerned because that would have meant an HST implication for the rest of Canada. Um, So there was another kind of, you know, another nuance to this conversation that we were having across Canada around how essential it is to keep Ontario in the fold. Um, And I do know that, I mean, from my other conversations with, uh, with RMT, I know that, you know, you guys are working on that process as well. Um, And I, it's just a, again, just one of those other differences, right? So, is this an empowering moment for you guys? Is it like okay, we 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 band it together and and we 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 stop some change or we made some change, or is this more of a like an eye opening scary moment of oh wow, you know we things like this can happen to us and we probably never really thought of thought of these things. I think I think it is an eye opening moment. I think that these things can happen. Um, I'm hopeful now um, that the government um, is not going to go down this pathway again. Um, I think that there are, uh, for RHPs in Ontario, though, I I think there's a lot of, um, I think there is a lot of change in the wind. Um, I think that as, you know, professionals, as members of associations, um, I think right now we all need to give more membership to our professional associations. We need to come out of this and say, wow, that was really scary. And aren't we lucky we had um, you know, professional associations that were on the ball and were able to respond to this. Um, if we hadn't been as organized and as quick, I'm not sure that this would have been intercepted mm-hmm. in the time it was and reversed so quickly. Right. Um, I really think this is a moment for all professionals to look around and say, um, you know, am I a member of a professional association? Do I pay men? Do I pay my dues? Um, am I paying enough in monthly dues or in annual dues? Um, I mean, for in TCMO terms, um, 
our professional membership at our college is $1,300 a year. Um, and that's just for the college. Like mm-hmm. that just, that just keeps the initials behind our names and allows us to keep uh, practicing right. um, membership in a, in our professional association is, uh, is barely 10% of that. Right, right. It's not a lot of money and, uh, and people need to, people need to support their professional associations. Absolutely. Um, I don't know what the comparative is for RMTs, but um, you know, we, we need to support these associations that are going to put our professions forward. Because that's the weirdest thing, right? Because the work that the associations do is going to happen regardless of whether you're a member or not. So all the advocacy pieces that happen, you reap the benefits reap of the them, benefits, whether you're a member. Okay, so yeah. a lot of the a lot of the times the member is like, you know, the member of the college is like, ah, it doesn't really matter to me because I reap these benefits anyway. But you definitely need to to throw that support there through 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 the membership to the associations. Absolutely. So when this was first all going down, and you know, when I say when this was first all going down, like you said, it was all dealt with very quickly. Like within a week, everything had been reversed. You guys were incredible and fast acting on that. But when this first happened, um, Mark and I were having a conversation with a friend that practices traditional Chinese medicine. And we were asking her thoughts like, are you concerned? What do you think is going to happen? And I just kind of like, I guess, made a joke. But this joke, I guess, could have been very real. I was like, well, what's really going to happen? Suddenly, is everybody just going to start doing acupuncture? And then we all just kind of looked at each other. We're like, well, like, I guess they could. And like that actually is really freaking terrifying. Yeah, it is. And, you know, to uh, to think that anybody could read a book, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and there are there is a title acupuncture for dummies. Um, you know, you could read that book and then hang out a shingle and um, and potentially cause great damage to Absolutely. people. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, as an acupuncturist, I'm have access to, you know, needles that are four inches long. And that absolutely can cause some incredible and terminal damage. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be able to, to have confidence in our healthcare providers that, that they have the background and the education and the knowledge. Um, you would never go to a, you know, to a, a, a primary healthcare physician if they had just read a book on you know, medical care for dummies. Right? Sometimes I feel like the <laughs> primary healthcare physicians that I've seen read healthcare for dummies. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what are you working on now, Heather? Now that that has been, I guess, dealt with. Does does this does this boost the the support for the association? Like have we you have seen, seen like an a, increase? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've seen an increase in in membership, which is uh which is good um i i don't like to you know to capitalize on a you know on that kind of you know sort of threat to our to our livelihoods to be able to say yay i've got more members in tcmo but but that did happen um we are we're still we still need more members we uh you know we would like to be able to get to a place where we represent a significant portion of the you know of the reg, of the college membership um, but that's a, you know, that is a, a, that's a growth that we're, we're moving towards. Um, and, and it is a bit of a roundabout in a circle, right? We, uh, you know, we can't have the most amazing website until we have more members. We can't have more members until we have a most amazing website. So it yeah. does go, it is, it is a chicken and egg argument for sure. So when all of the the strategies are being laid out on the table to how to deal with this whole thing. Is it ever part of the strategy to be like, well, 
what if this goes through and this does become not regulated and then the role of the association might have to change a little bit, might have to change a little bit into kind of mirroring what a governing body might do, that type of thing? Or was that conversation not even... time to make that plan. I'm just curious if that was even like, if that was even thrown on the table. She's nodding her head. There was no time for that. That that, that wasn't even a thought, eh? It was a thought. and And the answer to the thought was, okay, we can have that conversation, but we'll have that conversation when we have to six months right Right, 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 right. um you know the bill process the bill goes to first reading the bill goes to second reading it goes to committee it goes to third reading and then it gets royal assent so there was time in there Mm -hmm. um the fact that we got this moved and reversed so quickly um shocked everybody um it shocked our government relations firm it has shocked anybody who has been in you know involved in government um so so when you talk about you know did we have a victory yeah we did it was a it was an awesome victory and it was a quick victory and it was a faster that fight was over faster than anybody could have estimated it mike tyson's going what that happened so quick (laughs) (laughs) so you know i know you like you said you don't like to capitalize on a situation like this but i I guess i you know another positive is it did light a fire under people to realize like i need my association and i need to make sure that i'm supporting them this is a question out of pure um me being purely naive and mark's already looking at me like what are you gonna say what are you you gonna make us look stupid um when we talked about rmts being duly registered most rmts what they practice, like the acupuncture they do, is nothing to do with traditional Chinese medicine. Where do they fit into this whole thing? Well, because RMTs are a little different because RMTs are permitted through the College of Massage Therapists of Ontario to practice acupuncture, to practice contemporary acupuncture, and therefore within the scope of practice of massage therapy. But there are a decent handful of massage therapists who are duly registered and therefore can practice as an acupuncturist within the full scope. Got it. So they would have, they have the TCM background. Exactly. Exactly. The ones who are just doing contemporary acupuncture, this had nothing. No, to this do would with have them. not. This would okay. have not affected them at all. And, in, and indeed, that is one of the places where TCM professionals saw deregulation as a, a quite a problem. Right. So, if this actually had rolled forward, um, you would be looking at me saying, "I can't do acupuncture," and and have it covered under an extended health plan. And then you would see people going to RMTs, having acupuncture done with a very different level of training right. and being able to bill as extended health. So, so there then becomes an incredibly uneven playing field. Yep. Um, so, so as far as education goes, and, and maybe this is helpful too. So um, TCA, like RACs, do four years in school. Um, and there's, you know, 2,200 hours and there's, you know, 500 clinical hours. So there's a lot of like, actually, um, if you look at that, that's like four years of university, right. Mm-hmm. Um, in that kind of level of, of, uh, of knowledge and, and, uh, and school that, that goes into being a, an REC, and then to be a TCM practitioner to do um, herbs, TCMP, there's another, uh, you know, another clinical rotation and another year of school. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a, there's a lot of knowledge there. And, and like I said, we actually diagnose healthcare um, in, t- in Chinese terms, right? So we do a full diagnosis process as well. So 
are what we come to um, at that point um, to be able to then use acupuncture to treat someone um, is a, a healthcare, a holistic healthcare approach to what acupuncture is actually doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is inside our scope of practice as TCM professionals, but well outside the scope of practice that would be an RMT scope. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm not somebody that goes regularly for acupuncture. I've referred patients to um, TCM practitioners and to acupuncturists. And, you know, I've, I've had this conversation and this is, you know, not throwing shade at RMTs who do <laughs> contemporary acupuncture. But when I, when I am referring patients to um, get acupuncture, typically I say to them, I want you to find someone who is registered and is a TCM practitioner mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because, you know, like you said, the stuff that you guys do is well outside of our scope. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I want to, I want to make sure that I'm referring to the person who has the extensive training and knowledge. So yeah, I can see how that would have been really a slap in the face for TCM practitioners and registered acupuncturists thinking like, so RMTs can still do this and we've got a fraction of the training that you guys do. This is, this is the equivalent parallel, ready? Because a lot of other regulated healthcare professionals can do massage, right? So for example, chiropractors can mm-hmm. do soft tissue work. Physiotherapists can Even do soft tissue work. Even naturopaths get trained to do soft tissue exactly. work. Yeah. Oh, they've got a whole they got a whole section dedicated to dedicated to massage therapy. And that would be like the government saying, we're going to take away uh, the RMT title. Um, we're going to lump you in the holistic massage body rub world. That's where we're going to place you now. The same way you guys are being placed along with, you know, tattoo artists and, and, and people that do piercings. And <laughs> that's the way we're going to go. There. Cheers. Sure. I get it. I get it. That's the equivalent, people. That would be the equivalent. Government. <laughs> that's that's what I'm ending off on, government. My goodness. So I, I sort of started to ask this question, Heather, and I think you, you answered it a little bit, is what's happening now? Like, obviously, this was, you know, a little bit of a wake-up call. Is there anything that uh, TCMO right now is specifically working on? Or, you know, are you guys kind of letting the water settle a little bit? Well, in in practical terms, there's a provincial election on. So, uh, you know, there's not a lot of work to be done right now. Um, individually, we, uh, TCMO did a, and the coalition um, sponsored a training, um, a speaking to government training session. Um, and it was really, really useful to give our individual practitioners um, some tools to be able to speak to uh, their local um, MP. MPP during this election period, um, you know, to be able to give our to give pract- to, to give practitioners some sort of really practical on the ground experience and, and suggestions around how to interface with members of, of parliament and, and the provincial government around this stuff. So that was really useful. Um, and then right now the the coalition is uh is just taking a breather for a bit. We're all uh my goodness, the month of March was really, really busy and I'm barely recovered from it now. <laughs> you know, you're everybody's doing, you know, four people, the, you know, incredible hours um, at, at the work. And then also, of course, trying to keep, um, you know, trying to keep practices moving as well. Um, we're going to regroup um, at the coalition and uh, TCMO level. Um, we'll regroup after the uh, election into the middle of June. Um, to sort of start to look at what's next. Um, The coalition is uh, committed to uh, maintaining a presence and a relationship with whoever the new minister of health becomes, um, because we need to be able to talk uh, reasonably um, 
and coherently um, to the minister, to whomever that minister is, um, and to other people within the Ministry of Health to continue to reinforce the fact that this is primary health care that we do need to uh, continue to regulate and uh, and 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 also to promote and protect the profession. Um, Wherever uh, regulated health professional uh, colleges go in the future, um, I suspect that's something that will come through in this mandate of the of the government. Um, I think all indicators are that that we will be dealing with substantially um, the same government. Um, I mean, I know it's an election campaign, but I think a lot of the the information is that that uh, that we're going to see a status quo in in Ontario. Um, I could be wrong. But uh, but that's what it seems. I don't to be. think so, you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as far as what and it's what TCMO is up to, I mean, um, purely as a plug for TCMO, we've got an uh, annual general meeting coming up. We are redoing our website. Um, we are looking at uh, how to to get into doing some public advertising campaigns. Um, we are really interested in uh, maintaining the relationship with our, our government lobbying firm um, and keeping our name as well in front of the, the Ministry of Health um, and also the college. Um, you know, unquestionably, our college has gone through a lot of challenges, too. Um, part of what was highlighted was the fact our college actually wasn't not functioning efficiently or effectively. Um, and, uh, and they needed, uh, they needed a wake up call too. Mm. Um, our, our college has now got enough, um, provincial or sorry, uh, public members, um, on its, uh, on the council to be able to function, uh, properly. Um, so we're really looking forward to a, a better relationship with the college as well. And hopefully we can start to move some of those relationships forward. Um, we're, we really are not. Um, at, you know, at TCMO and at the coalition and at, uh, you know, the schools that are also part of this equation, I don't think anybody's into being adversarial. And we'd really like to get past the adversarial stance that we've really been forced into by the government and by our by our college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'd really like to move past that to be able to actually cooperatively really try and do something good for the profession. So you guys are very, very busy. And that was a very diplomatic response. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that um, you sort of given me something to think about as well in terms of, again, going back to public perception, when you were saying TCM is primary health care. And I don't think that I've ever really thought about it that way. And I think a lot of members of the public really don't no. think about it that way, you know, and I think that's an important, an important takeaway for people to recognize that a primary healthcare profession was almost deregulated. Mm -hmm. That is a huge deal. And I don't even think I realized or recognized at the time how big of a deal that was, you know, like that you guys are our primary healthcare. And there's parts of the world where TCM is, you know, just the same as us calling up our GPs that might have read Practitioners for Dummies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and and it just a personal kind of reflection, you know, we've all, uh, Ontario and the world, but, you know, in, in our own practices, in our own cities and towns, um, everybody we've intersect with has lived under COVID for two years. And, you know, I, I watched the TV this morning and the small little words traveling across the bottom of the screen went on about how, um, you know, they seemed shocked that COVID is still affecting mental health. Well, let me just check here. Of course it is. Of course it is. Um, 
But the solution to that is not necessarily going to your physician for, you know, some sort of chemical pill that's going to rebalance you. Because first of all, you can't get in to see your your Western physician because they're, you know, largely not working right now still, as shocking as that statement. It's wild, right? You can come get a massage from me, but God forbid I go see my doctor because of like a rash or an eye infection. (laughs) Yeah. But acupuncture. And so in my own personal practice right now, I'm seeing a lot of people who are coming in for stress and anxiety and depression. And those are all symptoms of what I would sort of say is being out of balance. TCM, Chinese medicine really focuses on balance, not too much, not too little, not too hot, not too cold, but balance. And so all these moments of stress And, you know, not being able to go out into the world and being told what to do and having to curtail your own personal activity all starts to put you out of balance. And the number of people that I personally have in my own practice um, that I can treat and I treat them weekly and I bring them back into balance and their response to stress goes down, their anxiety levels go down, they're not as um, they're not as edgy, they're responding to things better. And that's just my practice. There's 2,700 of us across the province doing this very important work for, for people in our towns, right? We're, we're part of the solution to this stuff. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate having your perspective because as I said, even every time we record a podcast, I always say this, if I can get one takeaway or learn something new, it's been a great day. And like I said, you really gave me something to think about, about TCM being primary healthcare and how the government had the ability to almost deregulate something that is so important. And I 100% agree with you with everything that the world has been going through collectively the last couple of years. The worst thing we can do for people is take away access access to things that are actually part of the solution and force more people onto more medications that are just going to make us more dependent on these things to function in the world. So I appreciate your perspective and thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you. This was awesome. Thank you very much. Well, it was awesome. Awesome to be here with you guys. And yeah, if you got any questions about any of it, give me a call back. Actually, maybe before we wrap up, um, if somebody listening does want to connect with you or TCMO, um, are there any links that you can provide for us? Oh, this is really easy. TCMO.ca. That'll be a tough one to remember. <laughs> and you can always find me at info at TCMO.ca. Amazing. Right Thank you, Heather. Thanks again. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. Peace.